Blog Talk Radio. Of lust, 
as opposed to love, and also being able to share this with others in my life, uh, those who uh, I share with uh, from a spiritual perspective as a minister and as a friend and as a brother and as a husband. Um, Bhakti Thirta Swami uh, was born February 25th, uh, 1950, and he went in transition uh, preparing for his next incarnation, June 27th. 2005. He was a spiritual teacher, author of Princeton graduate, and was previously known as John Favors, and uh, also by the name of Toshombe uh, Abdul. Uh, when he became initiated into priesthood uh, as a Swami, he became known as Swami Krishnapad. And as an African American seeker who rose from the impoverished condition of a Cleveland ghetto to become a global spiritual leader, Bhakti Thartha Swami Krishnapad met with prominent world figures such as Muhammad Ali, Nelson Mandela, and Zambia's President Kenneth Kwanda. He wrote 17 books on religious topics, including the book that we are reviewing this evening, and, um, and led community development projects in the United States and other countries. He was the founder and director of the Institute of Applied Spiritual Technology in Washington, D.C., which was is a actually a nonprofit, non-denominational organization whose membership represents a variety of spiritual paths and professional backgrounds. He traveled the world constantly and served as a spiritual consultant. He also shared, served rather, as chairman of the Third World Coalition. And on February 2006, uh, the Council of the District of Columbia recognized him as Man of the Year. So uh, before I continue, I must acknowledge that my wife is here with me. Hello. How are you, honey? I'm fine. Thank you. I'm much better with my voice than this morning. Oh, you sound much better. Yeah. Yeah, and you look much better also. Thank I mean, you, you always look good, but now you look even better. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Hard to tell when you're sick. <laughs> just, just from your looks, you know, because you're always irradiating. Uh, and I guess that has a lot to do with our diet and getting ample rest, you know, the meditation. I mean, all of those things, I think, uh, are really appreciated when one does get sick, such as from a cold and, and other uh, elements which we commonly share throughout the year. Well, I agree, because this is like a 24-hour bug, mm -hmm. but I believe that if it wasn't for our diet and lifestyle, it probably would have lasted much longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we both work during the day, right? And how many of us, uh, you know, times we have coworkers that stay away for days? Right. You know, it's not a week or more. And I never get the flu. Yeah, is that something? And I I won't get a flu shot. <laughs> you know? So I, I just really attribute a lot of that to diet and lifestyle. Yeah. Staying in a state of prayer and meditation, contemplation, affirmation, visualization. Absolutely. All those all of the above. to the problem. Mm. And recognizing that sometimes when we do get these 24-hour bugs, because I know it happens to you, also, that it's important to also recognize that the universe has a way of saying, you've done a bit much this week, you need to rest, and if you don't rest on your own, I'm going to see to it that mm. you do. Because mm. as you know, I, I work seven days a week, basically. Right. Maybe not full days, but mm -hmm. nevertheless, I don't have one day during the week by choice. I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying mm -hmm. that I don't have one day during the week that I totally have to myself. Right. I'm either on the radio or I'm at Serenity Space or I'm at my regular job or I'm doing a consultation or there's always something going. And as spiritual people and teachers, we um, tend to get so caught up in our work that we forget ourselves. So there, I'm, I'm clear that there are times that the universe will say, well, you didn't take a break, so I'm going to give you one, whether you like it or not. <laughs> And I think that's what happened to me last night. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, yes. Well, it's, it's a good, you know, it's a blessing to be able to acknowledge uh, uh, the uh, the various states that we are in. 
uh, whether we're healthy or dealing with a challenge in terms of illness, uh, that we don't give in to it and we recognize it for all that it is. And you made a very good point, though, in terms of the universe, the most yeah. high. Uh, if you don't want to sit down, just like our parents did, you know, when we were children, you know, uh, you know I'm going to make you sit down. <laughs> I'm going to make you take time out. You just do it voluntarily. Right. Do it kicking and biting and screaming and protesting the yes, whole way. Yes. But what happens though? Eventually, once we sit down and we relax, we we fall asleep, or we you know we just get so comfortable that we say yes, this is what I needed to be doing. So uh, I'm glad to see that you've rebounded, and that you're able to share this evening with us with the uh, show. So, I'm trying to um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get into the chat room right now. I'm but I do want to acknowledge that one of my Facebook friends wrote a comment that they're listening to the show right now. Oh, great. I'll be in the chat room shortly. I just wanted to make mention of that I'm trying to get in over here. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I do notice we have a few uh, in the chat room, and I want to welcome you and thank you for, for joining us this evening. Uh, and it's a pleasure. And, of course, if you have any comments and thoughts that you'd like to share on the air, please feel free to give us a call. Uh, and uh, push the number one button, um, and I will definitely acknowledge you, and we could uh, hopefully speak on the air. And, of course, any information that you'd like to share in the chat room that you'd like me to talk about, share it with the, uh, uh, the wide audience, please feel free to share that information. So uh, I, I'm going to now uh, continue from where we left off last week, with uh, uh, The Spiritual Warrior Two by Krishnapad, Swami Krishnapad. Uh, and I must say also that before I begin, that the reason I, I choose to read excerpts from various books such as Spiritual Warrior is because uh, I have uh, I've been blessed with having uh, 5,000 friends um, and even more once we create the fan page throughout the African diaspora, throughout the world, and especially though those who live in various parts of the world where they're not able to purchase books such as this, where they uh, don't have a library, don't have bookstores, or indeed don't have the money or the wherewithal to purchase a book, uh, that uh, they would not have access to such books such as this, which can be considered somewhat esoteric and somewhat, um, you know, collector's item, as it were. And then, of course, those who have computers, uh, a laptop or whatever in these particular areas, uh, may not be able to uh, uh, access the book, but only through that particular medium. And, and then, of course, we have those who are confined to hospitals, confined to the bed, who are invalid um, and not uh, mobile, and then those who cannot read, and those who are blind. So there's this myriad of reasons why it, it is uh, advantageous for, uh, for for people to access a program such as uh, Grassroots Holistic Health and to uh, be able to listen to my uh, reading from uh, various books such as Spiritual Warrior. So, uh, yes, without any further ado, I'm going to now start with uh, the area that uh, I had indicated the title which was uh, uh, friends, friendship, the true, the real meaning of friendship. Very interesting topic, wouldn't you say? Topic. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be pretty explosive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Swami Krishnapad states that real friends do not just stroke each other's ego or encourage nonsense. Hmm. Let me repeat that. <laughs> Real friends do not stroke each other's egos or encourage nonsense. And I think this being Sunday, uh, a day after Saturday, two days after Friday, we have uh, in, in the Western Hemisphere a, 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 a various, well, a inclination to look for the weekend, for the weekend to spend with our friends. And many of us spend time with our friends in certain environments, which involve uh, what we call partying, you know, having a good time, imbued with uh, uh, 
drinking certain beverages and whatever else they may in, 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 in digest or ingest, and and just you know having a, a lovely friendly time with one another. But it's an illusion for the most part, as we find out as we get older, because once you lose the allure, whether it be good looks, uh, the finances, the money, the appeal. Or just people just getting tired, you know, and wanting to just change up with new uh, environments, environments, and new friends. You find that indeed uh, your ego is being stroked, and that you were dealing with a lot of nonsense. So I just wanted to touch upon that, just from my personal observation from years back. I don't have that problem anymore, of course. I thank God. But um, Krishna Pad reminds one another that that we should remind one another about what is most essential. True friends are those who connect with us spiritually, motivating us to move faster toward the ultimate goal. And that being, their own examples should remind us of the benefits of remaining faithful to the devotional process. And what he means by that devotional process, I would surmise, would be that whatever religion, spiritual orientation that you embrace, that you should be faithful to that devotional process. Um, not necessarily fanatical or myopic in your view and your uh, embracing of that devotional process, but at least faithful. Because as we know, there are many different devotional processes in which one can embrace. And uh, none uh, is better than the other. It just depends on one's karma, one's uh, uh, spiritual evolution and, and uh, the incarnation that you happen to be in in, in this particular present moment in time uh, on this earth school. And um, I, what else can I say? That in, indeed the devotional process is never ending. So a true friend is one who encourages one to be uh, vigilant and, and focused uh, and remaining faithful to the divisional, devotional process. So he goes on to say that a great teacher in my spiritual lineage used to say that one who glorifies us is our enemy. Hmm, interesting. Uh, and one who criticizes us is our friend. The person who glorifies us is implying that we are fine just as we are, whereas the person who criticizes us sees what we need to work on. And given that we are in the material realm, we all have many areas which need improvement. And that is why those who remind us to do more intense work on ourselves are our true friends. We should be cautious when people glorify us too much and whenever we accomplish anything of merit, we should pass any praise on to the Lord who allowed us to be used as an instrument in his service. When we start taking credit for our successes, we accept all the other material burdens that come along with such an attitude. And as we release our material attachments, we, we may want to know how to assess our spiritual progress. And one simple way to know that we are advancing is to notice whether or not many of our previous activities and environments have become boring are unpleasant. We are making progress when we are no longer excited by the mundane music we used to listen to, the places we used to frequent, or the friends who used to we used to associate with who are still locked into materialistic patterns. And gradually, we start feeling drained by such pastimes, environments, and people. This is a sign that something is changing. Although Externally, we may appear the same as before. Inwardly, we have become different because our level of consciousness has become more elevated. Hmm. That says a lot, doesn't it? Well, it does. But the part about those, you know, those are friends who criticize you and they're not friends, those people who glorify you, I just think that needs to be qualified with a statement that everything needs to be within the balance. Yes. Because there, you know, because just um, just to say something like that, 
and not qualify it, those who don't understand or who might be at a different level of consciousness, they might misconstrue that and set themselves up to be abused by others. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some people that for their own um, selfish reasons or for their own, um, what's, how should I say, the, the word that I'm looking for is escaping me, they have um, underlying reasons. They'll try to criticize you in the name of friendship but it's not sincere. Yes. So everything has to be within the balance. There are some people who are on power trips and they feel that the way to control someone mm-hmm. is to constantly beat them down and criticize them. So, you know, you have to take, um, especially within a, within the spiritual arena, mm-hmm. you have to take things that people say in context. You have to consider the source mm-hmm. and you have to consider when someone is either criticizing or complimenting you, does this person have a motive? Absolutely. You're, you're 100% correct. Yes, because yeah. those that are spiritual Nubians could take a statement like that literally and then mm-hmm. set themselves up to be beat down by others, and that yeah. should not be so. Yeah, yeah one must be very uh, careful of who you uh, uh, confide in in terms of uh, asking their opinion. Uh, whether they want, whether you wish for them to be sincere in terms of a honest critique, as it were, you have to choose them with with uh, with care. Uh, and of course, the other side too that there's those of us who have friends uh, who compliment us, and I wouldn't say glorify because they use the word glorify. They use the word glorify, right. but same thing, over complimenting. Yeah. But we, we should be gracious to, re, to receive compliments. Yes. You know, uh, and that's something that uh, I think we all need every now and then uh, to be appreciated. Absolutely. But we have to understand that uh, there are those who uh, use this, this particular privilege abusively. And insincerely, and that's the word, right? Ulterior, ulterior motives. motives. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Ulterior mm-hmm. motives. Especially between opposite sexes. Mm-hmm. If you have a guy that's complimenting you all the time over the least little thing, what might his ulterior motive be? Oh, good point. Good or point. an employee over overly complimenting their boss or their supervisor, what's the ulterior motive? Is mm-hmm. that sincere? Mm-hmm. Is that really the way that it should be? Or should you be more, um, as we were talking about earlier, should you speak from the soul? Because the soul is going to speak within the balance, and the soul is going to speak what's real. Yes. yes. So you want to well, peel away those layers of superficiality. Yeah. And the book that you're reviewing on your show, and I must tell the listening audience that my wife, uh, Spirit Change, uh, she has a show every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and uh, she's, uh, she has been reviewing a book and teaching from this book called uh, The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov. And he talks about the uh, uh, various levels of uh, awareness, uh, and also how we are as human, as, as humans who are being on this earth, as it were, uh, those who are conditioned, majority of us, with five-sensory perception as opposed to multi-sensory perception. So, yes, we have, I guess, various people in our lives who we know are just, you know, rele- relegated to a five-sensory perception way of living, as opposed to those of us who are living a life in multisensory, or if not aspiring to elevate ourselves to be multisensory type of of beings. And that is being cognizant of the fact that beyond the five senses, that there is a a very wide area of uh, reality, you know, and, and that's something that forces all particular uh, areas of religious and spiritual orientation. Uh, that's when you get into the mystical part. That's when you get into the the uh, cosmic area, you know, of, of consciousness. And, of course, we can use, I use light as an example all the time. Uh, we, we know that you have various levels of, of, of light and how we see. And then there's that inner light. And, of course, incandescent, fluorescent, 
ultra rays, infrarays, you know, incandescent, just on and on, uh, we know that there's various levels of light, and, of course, all that coming from the sun. And the sun is also an entity that is very powerful, but there's also other areas of light which we're not even aware of. We're very young in terms of our scientific awareness uh, collectively. You know, we've only been 100 years that we've been flying in planes and, and driving cars and so forth. Uh, subatomic energy, quarks. There's, there's a myriad, you know, of, of areas that we can talk about which would take hours just to begin to touch upon the surface. So, indeed, the spiritual uh, spirituality is something that is very deep, uh, however, very simplistic once you start uh, opening up your heart, and I guess the operative word is love. Once you get rid of fear and incorporate love in your uh, cognizance and, and how you approach life, then all of these things bring on this aha moment because in reality, uh, all this information is dormant within ourselves. We all have this residing within our consciousness. Uh, for the most part, though, it's dormant. And so hopefully shows like this, books that we share, such as Spiritual Warrior, can release that dormancy and uh, bring us all collectively and individually to this, uh, these aha moments of awareness, spiritual awareness on the multi-sensory plane. So uh, he goes on to say that uh, the super soul inside the heart. Whenever the soul is in charge rather than the senses, it is because we have become deceptive of the Lord's will. Indeed, the Lord never abandons us. An active, loving presence of God listens, watches, observes, and guides us from within, if we are willing to listen. In Christianity, this presence is known as the Holy Spirit. In the Vedic tradition, it is called the super-soul. The super-soul communicates with the individual soul within each of us whenever we make ourselves available. And this is a wonderful state of affairs because it means that God is close enough to hear us when we are lonely and to appreciate us when no one else seems to care. In fact, the Lord's presence in the heart is the only real comfort we have. External supports may disappoint us when we need them the most, but God will never fail us, although we may fail God by not taking advantage of his love and protection. Clinging to our own personal will only causes one problem after another, and ultimately the way to gain mastery over the senses and begin the transformation of lust into love is to surrender to the Lord, praying, Thy will be done. And in this way we become receptive to the guidance of the super-soul. And when we practice this prayer of surrender, we become more detached from our own will and more available to God. Now, how do we attain a state of surrender that seems so remote from our current situation? Well, several steps are available to us. First of all, we must become more willing to abide by the laws of the spiritual world. We must also associate with spiritual people who can guide us and remind us of our commitments. And finally, we must not allow anything or anyone, including our own mind and intelligence, to impede our progress toward the goal of loving and serving God. And sometimes even our closest friends may prove to be obstacles. At other times, the obstacle may take the form of money, and on other occasions, our own husband, wife, or children may stand in the way. Their resistance may become so intense that every time we engage in spiritual activities, they complain. Why are you always reading spiritual books? Why do you always meditate? Why do you just want to go and pray and chant when whatever we want to do something? Such people are really saying, why does it have to? be God all the time. Why not me? A husband who wants his wife to devote all her attention to him may try to push God out of the way. A wife may behave in a similar manner, but no one can com compete with God. And we are all held responsible for our choices, 
our environments have been arranged by the Lord as part of our tests to ascertain our behavior in each situation. Well, with that being said, I'm going to take a short break, but I will return just to ponder that, what I just read. And uh, please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. touch upon a, a, a thought my wife and I uh, this, this this evening um, was dealing with a situation at, uh, on our block that we live here in, in New York City and it's around the corner from a, a church and it just so happens that they had the, that they had a, uh, a funeral of a very important person uh, a child of a, of a, a politician in our community it seems but anyway that's beside the point. The point I wanted to make, though, is that off and on we find our problem within our community that uh, the church members will double park their cars uh, and block our car uh, so that we can't get out. And my wife wanted to go shopping and so forth. And, and there was this test that we were going through, number one, of, of unconditional love, unconditional compassion, being considerate of the fact that, yes, people who were double parking their car, did so because they were attending a funeral. And my wife's uh, observation was that, well, there's many parking spaces within the radius of, of a half a mile or a quarter of a mile. A mile is 20 blocks. I guess so a quarter of a mile would be five blocks, I would say. So why not drive around until you find a parking space rather than inconvenience those of us who would like to go shopping, such as what my wife wanted to do, and I just found out that a neighbor wanted to take a car to go to work. So the problem is is that there's this forced sense of entitlement, and, um, and, and, and there's this feeling, from what I just read earlier, of the family member or friend or husband or wife who complains about the, the spouse going to church or prayer, <coughs> chanting and reading a holy book, that um, why do you need to do that? And then, of course, the other piece is that those who do that feel as if they're doing something that is a privilege, and that if you're not doing that, then uh, you don't warrant the respect. Uh, one should not have to incorporate the, the golden rule, doing unto others as you would have others do unto you. So uh, we're constantly being tested, as it were, uh, in terms of how we practice our spiritual lessons. And and uh, so I just wanted to bring that, that point up, and I'm sure that many of you who are listening uh, have also similar experiences. If you're driving down the highway, using public transportation, a bus or a subway, you know, uh, there's this immediate uh, um, test that you may have because of someone disrespecting you or infringing upon your space and your time. So we're constantly being challenged in that area. And I know that I'm very much uh, uh, sensitive to how these tests and these challenges come about uh, in, in, ter in, in terms of my path and my journey. So I just wanted to share that with you, that uh, there are different degrees. And, and that, that uh, sense of entitlement falls into the area of uh, a certain aspect of lust. Because when you're in a state of lust, um, that means you're, you're not in a state of love. And being in a state of love makes you very much sensitive to the other person's feelings, as it were. Uh, lust 
No, as my wife was saying earlier, uh, one can be complimenting the man, complimenting the woman uh, overtly and, 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 and just too much, as it were, because he's possibly in a state of lust and trying to set her up so that he can get what he wants. And the woman doing the same thing with a man. It doesn't necessarily have to be sex. It could be money. It could be a position. It could be a home, a house. Just a myriad of things. So as Swami continues um, in this area, he states that there are different degrees of lust. Lust touches every living being in this material world, he states. Indeed, we can categorize various species of life according to the degree of lust that cover their that covers their consciousness. The Bhagavad Gita explains in chapter three, verses thirty eight, as fire is covered by smoke, as a mirror is covered by dust, as the embryo is covered by the womb, the living entity is similarly covered by different degrees of this lust. Unquote. A tree or any other plant is compared to an embryo covered by the womb. And this particular forms, these particular forms of life experience almost total imprisonment. The second category, animal life, is in the, a position resembling a mirror covered by dust. Animals have a higher consciousness than plants, so that the lust covering them can be more easily removed, just as it is easily easier to remove dust from the mirror than to bring a fetus out of the womb. The last classification refers to human beings. Sometimes a fire generates smoke so thick that we cannot see the flames. But if we fan the fire, the flames become stronger and the smoke dissipates. Human beings are not as covered over as plants and animals. If we light a match to set a small fire. A strong wind can spread the flames and burn down a house or even a great forest. Similarly, God consciousness is capable of developing in human beings the grand proportions from a tiny spark. However, if we do not stimulate that potential by fanning the flames, the spark would not develop sufficiently to make a fire. Continuing with this analogy, we have the choice of raising our level of consciousness by means of spiritual activities or of allowing our spiritual spark to become extinguished. And sometimes a spark leaps out of the fire and burns itself out on the ground. In the same way, when we move too far away from the source, our natural connection with God, we are heading toward disaster. The importance of the human form. Although all life forms on earth are affected by different degrees of imprisonment in the material world, the human platform is exceptional, and human beings have an important role to play. The Bible corroborates this, saying that humans have dominion over other living beings on this earth. The word dominion here does not imply a right or to exploit or abuse, but it does indicate that the human condition has special meaning. What is so unusual about a human being? According to the Vedas, there are 8,400,000 varieties of life forms that the soul can occupy. Among these, the human form is the only one that can serve as an escaped vessel. This means that the soul can free themselves from the cycle of birth and death only while in a human body. An animal or plant that dies moves up to the next species automatically through the spiritual evolutionary process. According to the teachings, humans are the only ones endowed with sufficient ability to make entries about self-realization and to learn how to obtain relief from suffering, disease, old age, and death. I must go back to what I was speaking about and what Prabhupada shares in Degrees of Lust. And he talks about using the analogy of the fire, which is very interesting. Because those of us who who practice our religious orientation through prayer and chanting and singing and, and reading uh, their spiritual uh, material uh, from the very spiritual 
books such as uh, the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the Torah, and various other books, um, and associating with those people who are most learned from those particular areas. Uh, that's analogous to the flame being fanned so that it doesn't die out. This particular yearning for a taste, of, for the higher taste of devotion of the Lord. And those of us who do not uh, have uh, the ability or the desire to associate with uh, those who are learned in those areas or to read and to chant and to pray and sing songs of joy glorifying the Lord, indeed the flame can go out and can dissipate. And that happens when those of us just regulate, regulate one day to worship God, to worship the Lord. And uh, by the time that day is all over, or going into the next day, whether it be you start, you worship on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, which most of us in the Western Hemisphere choose to worship the Lord, by the time Monday or Tuesday comes around, the flame is just flickering, and it's about to go out. And, of course, those of us who are healthy spiritually find some way of associating with the spiritual energy, with the spiritual fanning, so that the flame becomes alive again or becomes more bright, as it were. And, uh, and, and that's why the masters encourage us to, uh, to chant, to pray, to read our spiritual material, to be in association with those who have a spiritual platform in which they're standing on, uh, an environment in which they live in, or have a habit of being in. Uh, that is something that, to me, this gave me a ha-ha moment in terms of how important it, it is to be in a state of association uh, through these particular mediums. So, um, he also states, Swami Krishnapad, that God's help is always available. As human beings, we must make intelligent use of this precious opportunity. We can do so if we remember that the Lord is present in our hearts as the Holy Spirit or the super soul, providing us loving guidance. When we are selfless, the Lord knows. And conversely, as we have seen, the Lord is aware of our improper behavior too. And we will be held accountable. If we are feeling lonely, depressed, forsaken, and overburdened, we must remember that this particular kind of test is being given to us to see how we respond. As we pass our tests, we experience greater happiness and joy. We are beginning to experience higher pleasures by connecting with the reservoir of all pleasure, the Supreme Lord. To prepare ourselves for going back home to Godhead, we must attune ourselves to the spiritual world while still in this material environment. Such attunement means that we learn to become selfless rather than selfish, compassionate rather than cruel, and free from the clutches of greed, lust, and anger. Lust never fulfills us. We have seen how it works. Lust turns into anger. Anger turns into illusion. And illusion attracts us over and over again into the confusion of being separate from God. We can interpret this endless cycle only by, uh, we can interrupt this endless cycle only by making a firm commitment to convert the lust back into its original form of love. So we have uh, this section here, which is dealing with questions and answers. Uh, the question is, lust is love, and love comes from God. So if I am feeling lusty or acting in a lusty way, does this mean that what I really want is God? And Krishnapad says, Swami says, yes, it means that even the greatest cheaters, abusers, manipulators, alcoholics, or drug addicts really want God in their deepest inner consciousness. Their focus is just misdirected. We all want to be with our best friend in the most beautiful environment there is. We all long for perfect reciprocation, perfect love, and perfect happiness. 
Ultimately, we must learn that all such perfection can only be found with God. Although we all are, we are all looking for the same thing, lust improperly directs our energies and distorts our behavior because lust is merely misplaced love. Nothing exists in this material creation except love in various degrees of disarray. That is why we all feel a little empty. We, we all long to be more loved. And if someone says, I love you, I love you, I love you, we respond, oh, tell me again. Say it more slowly. Say it more romantically. Say it with more feeling. Oh, please, tell me I'm your greatest love and promise that I'll always be the most important person in your life. And keep on reminding me. We're always looking for love because love is the only quality that is actually missing in our lives. Unfortunately, because we are covered with lust, we keep trying to find that love outside of ourselves in drugs, alcohol, prestige, wealth, power, or countless other misguided ways. But these substitutes never make us happy. We will only be fulfilled when we discover pure, unadulterated love which is always available if we know where to look for it. The next question is, all around me I see competition and drive to get to the top. I see it in myself too. Now that I'm listening to you, I wonder, aren't we foolish to engage in such behavior of when we are all in such a fallen state to begin with? And Swami answers, yes, actually, from the perspective of more evolved beings in other realms, we are all handicapped and at a primitive level of evolution. Our gross material bodies are not refined, and yet in our egocentric way, we are extremely proud of them. Just think about it. Our physical bodies are filled with stool, urine, pus, blood, and parasites. What is there to be so proud of? It is idiotic to be conceited about belonging to a certain race or about our physique, the color of our eyes, or the length of our hair, given that we are all in prison. Why should we be proud because our prison suit is a little lighter, darker, taller, taller, or shorter? It is still a prison suit. Until we realize our true condition, we can never become properly spiritual. As long as we have difficulty understanding that material life is bondage, that we will have to wear prison suits of different qualities until we get exhausted. Many souls do just that. Removing from an Asian body, uh, moving from an Asian body to a European body, to an African body, to an Indian body, and back again. That is why the great prophets come into this environment and try to get us out of this place. We must experience that which we reject or condemn in order to evolve. If we demonstrate a lack of respect for the opposite sex, we must come back again as the opposite sex to experience that polarity more fully. The more racist people now may be reborn as members of the race that they abhor. abhor. Many slave masters or people who were involved in the slave trade have had to reincarnate in black bodies to help counteract what they have done. Just as many Nazis have returned as Jews, and many early American settlers have come back as Native Americans. Materially speaking, people are not all alike. Everybody is different, even twins. Each soul has an individual identity. But at the same time, as part and parcels of God, all souls are qualitatively the same. Whatever the covering, whether the body is infantile, adult, male, female, black, or white, we are all serious about spiritual development. We must focus on the soul. As long as we put the body first, we will continue to be prisoners until we become exhausted with our suffering and are ready to learn how to live like free men and women. Being free means living as spiritual beings and not human beings. 
spiritual beings do not get caught up in the suffering that the rest of us must experience for our growth. Instead, they learn from it. If you do not want to grow, you might as well admit that you are comfortable in your prison. That is all right. It just has nothing to do with spiritual life. So, uh, that's that's a lot. I, I must say that, indeed, uh, this is something that one can read and and ponder upon many, many times just to get the the essence of what's being shared here. I know that some of us might feel that this is too much of a radical way of looking at, at life and reality of us as human beings as opposed to spiritual beings. And, of course, there are many of us who do not embrace the essence of reincarnation, have no understanding of it, and so forth, and that's okay. But we understand, though, that uh, matter cannot be destroyed. Energy cannot be destroyed. It just changes in different forms. Uh, One who can just remember, if you've taken science class, chemistry, that uh, just the essence of water, you know, it has many different forms. And this was not known uh, up until... uh, uh, the past maybe 100 years, a little bit more than 100 years ago in terms of the different dynamics and the how to utilize the energy of, of water. Uh, the first uh, steam engine, for instance, you know, the first train that was uh, uh, made mobile by burning wood, which uh, burned uh, water, which turned into steam, which pushed the, push, the piston, uh, which made the wheels rotate on the train so they can travel from point A to B across the continent of the United States. And, of course, uh, the car, uh, the same uh, phenomena, physical, physiological phenomena. But we know that, that water has a liquid uh, substance uh, capable of being substance uh, in the form of, of liquid. It can also be hardened into ice also be uh, heated up to the point that it becomes a vapor where the human eye cannot detect it. Uh, you only know that it's a vapor by holding something next to it, your hand or a mirror or a piece of glass. And of course, uh, we can look up in the sky and see a cloud and know that through our intelligence, from intelligence, that that cloud contains the essence of H2O, water. And that eventually that water will come down again onto the earth. And it is that same water that has existed for billions of years. Not just on this planet or within this hemisphere, but coming from the cosmos. So uh, I won't get into science. I won't get into chemistry at this point, And I'm still learning. But I do know that once you get into that area and recognize how uh, of a much of a novice you are in, in that understanding, and this here... Uh, this wisdom was shared by those who spent their entire life, if not their entire present life, many incarnations before they came up with these revelations. And that same knowledge is being given to us by masters of spirituality who have evolved in many, many lifetimes, many incarnations, as it were, to come up with this knowledge from the Most High, from the Lord, in terms of understanding who we are as spiritual beings as opposed to human beings. Uh, Spiritual beings having a human experience as opposed to human beings sometimes having a spiritual experience. So, uh, I'm going to go forward and touch upon, we have about six minutes remaining, and uh, next week we'll be be covering... uh, uh, the aspect in which Swami talks about developing the higher taste. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being in association with some pure devotees going back some 30 years ago. And when I first heard that exp- expression, higher taste, and uh, I was devo- invited to a uh, uh, a, a mosh, I'm sorry, a temple, a bhakti yoga uh, temple, and uh, they serving what they call prasadam. And this prasadam happens to be offered uh, to the Lord and is spiritualized. And, of course, we all have heard of uh, uh, kosher food, 
as well as halal within the Islamic community and kosher within the Jewish community. And I'll just uh, touch upon this so that uh, we can just have a flavor of what next week, no pun intended, uh, will be like in terms of the reading from Spiritual Warrior. Uh, Swami states that our senses are extremely powerful. A simple little story taken from the Vedas illustrates the persistent attraction most of us feel to the material world and its pleasures. There, there was once a Muslim emperor named Akbar who was curious to know how long a person remains covered by lust. And Akbar's minister, a wise old man, explained to the emperor, lust is as powerful as long as you are in the material body, almost until the moment of death, unquote. In promising and instructive example, the minister invited the emperor to, to take his beautiful daughter along and join him at a nearby hospital. And when they arrived, the minister said, just look at the man lying on the next, in the next room, and within the hour he will be dead. Watch him closely as we walk into the room. And from the moment the three of them, Akbar, his daughter, and the minister, entered the room, the dying man could not keep his eyes off the attractive young woman. Akbar immediately understood. Such is the power of the senses. Because they are so strong, we cannot easily defeat them or give them up. If we do not direct our energies properly, the senses will enslave us. When we are enslaved, we cannot develop our higher faculties, and we will not experience the ultimate transcendental pleasures that comes from loving God. We must learn to redirect our senses by making a simple change, a simple little change indeed, as if we were tuning to a different radio station. The original energies still exist, but we are channeling them differently. When we offer higher pleasures to our senses, we can eventually become free of our lower desires. So, yes, we will continue by... Uh, developing reading, developing the higher taste, because we are all inherently pleasure-seeking beings. Spiritual life can never be just a matter of renunciation. Instead, it must become a process of energy conversion in which we reject lower material satisfactions in favor of more spiritual pleasures. And this process of substituting higher spiritual experiences for material enjoyment is called developing the higher taste. At points during this substitution process, we can become impatient, wondering when we, are we ever going to experience the higher taste. And of course, being habituated to our usual pursuits, we would prefer to have the higher experiences first. Then we might be willing to give up the lower attachments. And often, we are afraid to renounce our flickering temporary pleasures because we believe we may be left with nothing. So I assure you that you will be left will not be left with nothing when you tune in next week to uh continuing the warrior transforming love or transforming lust into love. I thank you again everyone for tuning in. And I do invite you to tune in again next week. And, of course, I encourage you to visit my website, Drum to Change, and uh, consider that as a source for getting your drum. And we close by indicating that we are most grateful to the One Most High for being ever-present in our lives. And we thank us the wisdom and the ability to use the tools which we gracefully provide us. We give praise to you. Um, may we not be tempted to stray from love. May we begin this week uh, with love. We open to receive you and please enter where you already abide. May our minds and hearts be pure and true. And may we not deviate from the things of goodness. May we see the love and innocence in all mankind behind the masks we all wear and the illusions of this worldly plane. We surrender to you, O Lord, our doings this evening and this coming week. We ask only that they serve you in the healing of the world, and may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go. I thank everyone. Namaste, shalom, assalamu alaikum, one love, and love all my relations.
until we meet again.